0: Wow, my storytelling skills are easily eclipsed. Well done.
1: Uh, But also, CeCe's missing! You need to have a healthy dose of skepticism. Regarding all things, what if something like this happened? You would have been prepared?
2: It did happen, Mr. Smith! That's what I'm
1: saying! Where's your skepticism? You should have planned for this. Always assume the worst is going to happen. I'm asking
0: you, as a friend, please don't put your own personal agenda so far above the needs of the others that you put our important relationships at risk.
1: And I don't think you understand, Finevere. The entire purpose of everything that we have been doing up until this point has always been my first and foremost goal.
2: Could you be less smooth, more Charles? foundlings and welcome back to another episode of the gate chronicles this is chronicle one chapter 47 yeah this is still like it's still a struggle because my notes don't say that at all it still says like episode and session and stuff yeah uh well anyway i am your game master and host my name is emily and as always i am accompanied Accompanied, I am joined by none other than, thank you, Quinton.
1: Quinton, ah, who plays Charles Smoot, 57-year-old biology teacher, born and raised in upstate New York. Finally getting some answers and maybe meeting individuals that he's been longing to for a very long time.
0: Uh, and my name is Jaden, and I play Benavir Aver, uh a bard, an aspiring seeker, and perhaps one day a successful merchant. But we'll get to that when we get to that.
2: That that is that is, I guess, how it works.
0: That is how it works. Time advances and we get to
1: that when we get to that.
2: I guess everybody deserves a recap of what happened last session, last episode, last chapter.
1: Chapter. Yeah, last
2: chapter, yeah. Uh so the party made haste for Senai as Valen and Kelsey recounted the tale of Cece and John's disappearance. Armed with new information, Finnevere focused his efforts on uncovering the potential whereabouts of the two, while Charles pursued after his own goal, getting a new suit and also uh, news of the far traveler. And that's kind of, I guess, where we're picking up, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hmm. In all fairness, he was told he needed a suit to really get anything done in this town.
2: Yeah, you gotta look like there's business. Yeah,
1: you have to appear as if you're important enough to hold a conversation with.
2: Yeah, well... You and Kelsey were riding the lift mm. up to the mountain observatory, which is very high up. It's actually almost to the peak of this mountain.
1: Yeah, there were way too many stairs. There
2: were a lot of stairs. Way too and many stairs. Yeah. There was a challenge made, and Charles Moot was like, I'm not about that life Well, right it's, it's
1: not that you're right. It wasn't necessarily that he believed he couldn't do the, ta- the challenge. It's that the challenge wasn't time efficient, and he values the answers so greatly.
2: Yeah. You also had a very deep conversation with Kelsey True. about some of those dreams she had been having, those feelings. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, she's also been having dreams, and she's been hearing her brother's voice.
2: Uh, yeah, that's all you got from there? That's all I got. Wow. I see how it is. Yeah. Well, anyway... <laughs> So, uh, I think I think the last words were something like, ah, yeah. And then there was awkward silence for a while as for you guys a really long uh, while. finished riding your way up, which is like a 10-minute ride all the way up the side of this mountain as this wooden lift kind of dangles.
1: Precariously. precariously. Yeah, I was oh, to yeah. say. Oh, I, yeah. I vibed the precarious nature of this lift.
2: I know. I, I felt it in the last episode of C- I, I, <laughs> I felt
1: it in the hesitation of your voice.
2: <laughs> it was precarious. Anyway, as the lift comes to a halt at a wooden platform you realize you are hundreds of feet in the air as you peer over the city below. Looking towards the safety of solid ground you see past the platform is a cave. The stone appears polished and smooth and along the exterior you make note of what appear to be longitudinal slits cut into the side of the stone leading up to a dome structure tucked into a crevice of the mountaintop.
1: All right, Kelsey, you said you know where Randall Godsworn stays.
2: Ah, yeah. So we have to go... And she points to the domed area. There.
1: Seems easy enough.
2: It's not a bad time to travel. It's just, well... (laughs) She points then, guiding your direction from the top of the dome down to the entrance of the cave and she gestures pointing to what appears to be a person dressed in a robe with a shroud covering their head.
1: Okay. Charles Mooch starts approaching. Hey there. How's it going? Here to see Randall Godsworn.
2: Um, you disembark from the lift and make your way over towards this person which as you get closer you realize they are much smaller than you. And is more than likely a woman.
1: Most individuals are much smaller than Charles Smoot, in all fairness.
2: Okay, but, you know... She's
1: much, much smaller than Charles Smoot.
2: A woman about Kelsey's height.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm,
2: Yeah. It's not that bad. How tall is Kelsey? Five foot four.
1: Five foot four. Okay. I I approach and say that I'm looking for one Randall Godsworn. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You see that she is dressed in a long woolen robe with a blue scarf that covers her head. She looks up at you, and she has a very pleasant smile on her face, and she just sort of nods and gestures for you to follow after her. Kelsey trails behind as you begin making your way into this cave, which appears to also have been man-made with cut stone and the inside, the interior carved out. Forming branching tunnels and hallways. But she doesn't take you down a very long distance. She actually turns almost abruptly to the right. Up a set of cut stairs. Which, as you walk up, you see the slits from the inside. And you realize that these are windows that you're able to kind of hear out of. But seems to stifle the wind from beating against you as you go up the stairs. So as you are walking through, go ahead and make a reception check.
1: Oh, first dice roll of the night. Ooh, this was the tiny dice. Ooh, tiny dice don't fail.
2: For the rolls that don't matter. <laughs> they
1: matter to me. 23
2: for Charles Smooth. As you are walking up these stairs, you hear the faint sound of chanting sort of sweeping all through the tunnels from your left side since you are at the outermost part of this under-mountain structure. And you also notice that occasionally there are carved into the sides of the walls pictures of what appears to be the elk. The one that you recall all the way from Ashby. It's figure is carved into the stone walls. You see different iterations of it, though. Different scenarios. One where it is grazing in a field, another where it is laying in a pasture, surrounded by dozens of other animals, as well as what appear to be depictions of offerings of food. And as you're going through, you don't really hear many other people making their way around, but you do notice that Well, you smell what appears to be food being made, as if you're walking nearby one of the kitchens of this building. You go up about three stories inside this mountain, until you enter into this domed room, where you see blue cloth draped across the ceiling, and shelves filled with scrolls and sidebound parchment, Lining the lower room, you see several other men dressed similar to this woman. They're seated at tables. Some appear to be studying, while others are scribing onto parchment, occasionally observing small objects beside them, or others observing sidebound books. It sort of reminds you of medieval drawings, almost of a church where they used to scribe into the books. You guys find yourself on the third floor of this observatory, as it was sort of referred to. In this area, there appears to be an open second story, which has a large metal telescope-looking object displayed prominently in the center.
1: Hey, hey Kelsey, are any of these guys, Randall Cotsworn?
2: Ah, uh, hold on, they all kind of look... She looks back to the woman. <clears throat> they all kind of look alike.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm kind of getting that vibe too, right? They have got the shaved heads, wearing the same, like, cloak.
2: Yeah. They all seem to really just wear these blue scars over their heads, but... Um, we found him last time up there. She gestures up towards the balcony as she says this.
1: Uh, does Charles Smith see anyone up there as of currently?
2: You see... There is a person sitting on a chair by this telescope-looking thing.
1: Well, maybe that's our guy. Charles Smoot would point towards him.
2: Kelsey squints her eyes slightly as she looks. Ah, yeah, no, that is him. You have good eyes.
1: Yeah, I know. The cataract hasn't kicked in yet. I'm very fortunate.
2: The woman who guided you here turns and looks at you both and just seems to be waiting.
1: If she's not moving, I guess we kind of wait there awkwardly for a little while until Charles, we would kind of, like, nod. So, nice weather we're having.
2: She cracks a bit of a smile, covers her lips, and then straightens back out and calms her face down. And she gestures for you to head up a nearby flight of stairs.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. I wasn't sure what was happening here.
2: She bows slightly and then ...begins to depart from you.
1: Charles smoot would return a slight bow... ...and begin walking up the staircase... at ...which she gestured towards.
2: Kelsey copies you... ...and then follows after as well. And you both make your way up these stairs... ...over towards this... ...gentleman... ...who is currently scribing onto another piece of parchment... ...occasionally peeking into the lens of the telescope.
1: I'm looking for a Randall Godsworn... ...is now a bad time...
2: As you begin to speak, you hear an abrupt shhh. From who? From around you.
1: I'm looking for a Randall Godsworn. It's now a bad time.
2: He peeks around the telescope. Yes, my child.
1: Oh, well, I don't know. How old does he look?
2: You see that this is an average-sized man. In his later fifties. He's actually sitting with his scarf down. You see he has... Blonde, graying hair that is tied back, wearing the common robes of the clergy, along with an antique pair of spectacles that teeter on the bridge of his nose.
1: Pretty sure we're about the same age. It would be a little little awkward if you were my father.
2: Kelsey elbows you slightly. I think it's, you know, like a church.
1: I I know it's like a church. I always like to make this joke in front of Catholics, too.
2: He continues to smile while looking at you, seeming to wait.
1: um... I am one of the members of the party who delivered the cargo which you ordered from Graben's Antiquities. However, due to unfortunate circumstances, I was delayed. However, I made a few questions about the order you
2: placed. Is something the matter, child?
1: Uh, well, numerous things. Uh, but most pressingly of all, my interest lies actually in one of the paintings you purchased.
2: He for a moment, looks sort of down to his side, just seeming to think, and then he puts down his pen and pushes against a telescope, which seems to retract slightly as he gets up and stands before you.
1: Did you purchase this painting specifically and quite knowingly for its contents?
2: Why don't you roll a diplomacy check? Tiny dice! Let's go! Yeah. For checks that don't matter.
1: What do you mean checks that don't matter? This nice. is a very important check. It is a total 12. Oh, yeah.
2: Okay. So your question was, did he knowingly and purposefully buy these painting
1: things? Did he, did he buy this painting knowingly for its contents? Like, you can go to an antiquity store and be like, ah, give me a painting. But it's like indicative, did you buy this painting knowing what the painting is of?
2: He nods his head. Yes course i was quite interested in the art
1: specifically of the individual captured in it or rather depicted
2: i believe my interests are my own sir
1: <clears throat> you may be correct and yet i find that perhaps our interests may correlate if indeed you purchased this painting with full knowledge that it depicts the far traveler
2: you see his eyes sort of grow wide, and he takes his hand quickly and brings the finger up to his lips, as if to indicate
1: silence. Smoot would nod, knowing that there has been an air of secrecy regarding this matter.
2: As he lowers his hand from his lips. Ah, my child, yes. You've come for a donation, of course.
1: Smoot would go along and run with it? Uh, yes. Is there uh, a place in which we can go in order to make this donation possible?
2: He nods. Yes, of course. Right this way, my child.
1: Child spookable. Nudge Kelsey. See, this is how you get secret agent spy stuff done. James Bond should take notes from me.
2: Yeah, maybe. Or he's just a nice guy.
1: Oh, he he does seem like a really nice guy, but let's follow after him.
2: All right. So... He begins to walk away, taking his hands and tucking them into the sides of his robe as he walks, almost silently, on the wooden planks. But the place that he leads you to is a room of sorts, but instead of solid walls, there are cloths draped from the ceiling, sort of making an enclosure, though they are relatively thick.
1: Are we sure it's safe to speak here?
2: Come inside, my child, for your donation.
1: Can I sense motive this man? Sure. I feel like now's the time, right? Am I about to get jumped by a gang of monks and need to, like, pummel them with my bare hands? Sixteen total, Charles Smoot sense motive. Do I sense any ill intent from the individual?
2: You do not sense any form of malice from this person. He appears calm and has been quite cordial with you.
1: Charles Smoot will enter the room, as the man indicates.
2: He waits until Kelsey passes by before he steps inside himself, and as he does, he removes his hand from holding open one of the cloth drapes, which then falls to the side, and you do notice that as the cloth drape falls back into place, you do notice that the exterior noise is somewhat more muffled, though this man, Randall, continues to speak in a more hushed tone so you have interest in of course the far traveler my child
1: ah uh, indeed
2: come sit any gestures to several seats that are nearby
1: Charles Moodle, take a seat in one of them
2: Kelsey pensively takes a seat as well
1: so, so uh, it's indebitous isn't it yeah. uh,
2: yes of course tell me what it is that you are looking for exactly
1: mm. Well, if you want to be blunt, far-traveler.
2: <laughs> yes. Anyway, I guess it'd probably be polite of us to truly introduce ourselves, Mr. Smoot.
1: Oh, he asked the question first. I mean, he didn't introduce himself.
2: Ah, of course. How rude of me. You are quite right, my child. I am Randall Godsworn.
1: My is Smoot. Charles Smoot.
2: And I'm Kelsey... We we already met. He nods his head. Of course, you are looking for the far traveler. Might I ask what your interest is in this individual?
1: It is the only connection I have to something that I've lost very dear to me. My family. And with any luck, I hope that maybe he will be able to illuminate some questions I have regarding my circumstance and theirs.
2: He sort of raises his hand towards his face as he places it in a thinking manner. Trying to take in what you're saying, but not exactly sure what it all means. You can sort of read his expression, as he is certainly relaxed after entering into this space.
1: And if you don't mind me asking, as for yourself, what is your interest with him?
2: Ah, of course. I am a man who studies the stars and the future.
1: So how does that have any correlation with this individual?
2: Legend has always told that the far traveler has always been present, as if all throughout time. And that to me says, perhaps, as his name suggests, he would be one who could travel time. And you would be right in saying that my interest in the painting is for the individual himself.
1: Have you found any substantial leads as regard to the identity or whereabouts? From what I heard last and from own personal experience, it seems as if he has last been sighted in the area around Senai.
2: A rumor, to be sure. However, I suppose you would find some interest in my collection, then.
1: Ah. Are you saying you have more than just the individual painting? More to tie him to a place or person?
2: You see as he takes in a deep and slow breath as he nods his head.
1: Where is it, then?
2: For a moment, he pauses... And then sort of stands up, walking over to a corner of this room where you see that there are stacked multiple large crates nearby a table, which has the large meteorite that you had brought here, along with several of the the scroll tubes here. And you see as he lifts off one of the covers of these crates, and he gestures for you to look.
1: Charles, boot Eagerly get up from where he's standing and make his way over, carefully inspecting the contents of the crate.
2: You see inside the crate are dozens of paintings. They're aligned in such a manner that they are draped, sort of hung with wooden sticks to keep them straight inside. They do not seem to be in any particular order, but he gestures for you.
1: Can we take them out of its container?
2: He nods. Do be quite careful. These are the only ones of their kind.
1: Are they all created by the same individual? Mm-hmm. He, Charles Smith, will start taking them out and examining them to see if they have a similar artistic style to them
2: it could be either a perception or if you had a craft painting skill.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're making a perception check, right? The
2: DC is relatively high for that.
1: Oh, yeah. With a 10? Yeah. Smoot's got an eye. for not paintings.
2: Charles Smoot, you begin sort of pulling these out as he says, The artist is unknown. However, these pieces have been appearing all over Westrealm. For the past century, however, from what I can tell, they do appear to have been painted by the same person. And, Charles, as you begin pulling out these paintings, you know painted in dull hues is an expansive, dark, and grungy room viewed from a distance A dim blue glow emits from a strange box, and with the silver and reddish-sponged paint, you assume the object to be made of some sort of rusted metal, and depicted nearby are several rows of these boxes in dull metal grays which fade into the blackness. In the background, you see the hints of long rectangular objects, the details of which are blurry and nearly impossible to make out save for the distinct outlines of broken glass. In the foreground, five individuals seem to walk through the room, several of whom are holding small glowing rods above their heads. The figures appear to be of four men and a woman. The man at the front is tall and muscular, with gray hair and pale skin. Another man dons a red and black checkered shirt, he is also tall and trails nearby the woman who has dark hair and is wearing a green coat. Lagging behind is a heavyset dark-skinned fellow wearing a cream-colored outfit and a flat cap. And lastly, a scrawny-looking man in a white lab coat seems to wander off from the group into the shadows.
1: That's just the painting I'm holding?
2: That's the one you just pulled out.
1: Can I examine some of the other ones as well to see what they depict?
2: Sure. You begin pulling out more paintings.
1: As I do, I'll be like, Kelsey, take a look at this.
2: Kelsey looks at what you're looking at, and you just see her eyes go wide and her mouth slack-jawed. You begin scanning carefully over the pieces of art before you. Dozens of the scenes depicted seem unsettlingly. Familiar. A ruined village in the forest, with a collapsed large building, and blurred silhouettes of a group moving towards the viewer, though a dark shadow looms overhead in the building with red eyes glaring down at the figures, and hidden in a nearby shadow, appears to be a shrouded figure. In another, the man in the red checkered shirt lies on a stretcher, a bite wound on his arm seeping blood and sort of depicted in a blurred fashion. This view is from overhead, it seems, with tree branches looming there, but also what appears to be a hand, illustrated. But as you continue to parse through, you stumble across one that catches your eye. The scene is unfamiliar. A shrouded figure stands in front of a reddish stone wall. A cliffside, possibly. Natural light seems to stream down overhead onto a nearby stone shrine. But what catches you off guard is the unmistakable depiction of Charles Smoot facing the figure. This is really weird.
1: Um, this location here in this last one. Mr. Gotsworn. Is this a location in Senai?
2: He peers over your shoulder as he looks at the painting. Ah, yes. The Shrine of Tribes.
1: What is this Shrine of Tribes?
2: It is a monument erected to remember those who were lost during the warring of the tribes. That occurred before Senai was founded, when it was known as the Tribe of Senim. Did you want to examine the paintings any further?
1: Um, you mentioned that there was a dark figure hidden in the shadows with red eyes in one of them? hmm Is this just in one of them, or is this a reoccurring dark figure which seems to be looming?
2: Just in one of them. And in particular, it seems to be looming in part of the collapsed building. Meanwhile, the depicted shrouded figure is also nearby, but not inside the building. But rather, standing off to the side...
1: And you said there was a handprint in the one of us in Ashby?
2: You, the one that you see is of the man in the red checkered shirt who is lying on a stretcher, it is looking down from overhead, and there appears to be a hand itself sort of leaning against a tree in a way from overhead. But that's, that is all that is depicted there.
1: Um, well, Mr. Godsworn, I... Don't know if you recognize, but we may have some very illuminating news.
2: He looks at you, confused.
1: Ah, though it may come to a surprise to you as much it does I, I can assuredly confirm that all of these are depictions of my party's travels over the past few months. And Charles Smoot will point out specifically in all of the depictions where he can where it is him and also Kelsey to corroborate this as evidence. I
2: see. That is very interesting. He looks at you more closely, examining you and then examining the paintings themselves.
1: Uh, There was a phrase I heard recently... Something I am not quite sure at this point was vision or reality. Praise was, it has begun. This doesn't happen to mean anything to you, does it?
2: He shakes his head. No, but I will say, perhaps if you are somehow connected to these paintings... He seems to get a glint of excitement in his eyes. Perhaps you can read this. And he begins turning over a few of them, and gestures to the back, where you see, written in English letters, are words that seem to almost be titles of the paintings. One labeled as lurking, another poisoned, lost, captive.
1: Da see, Kelsey, I tried to tell Finevere and Valen that people name paintings, and they wouldn't believe me.
2: Mr. Smoot, this is written in English.
1: Uh, well, yeah, I kind of did pick up on that now, didn't I?
2: What is going on? And wait. then, as he turns over the painting of the shrine, you see on the back is the word, Meeting. Oh. ah, uh, wait! Mr. Smoot! Um, uh, Randall! Uh, Mr. godsworn I'm not sure which which one. It is alright, my child. May call me Randall, that is fine. Yes. Um, what about the paintings that we just brought to you?
1: Are these not among those?
2: These are from my original collection. I have not yet had a chance to study the others. Save for the one that we pulled out the other day.
1: Uh, if you would be so kind. Do you mind if we examine the others?
2: Go right ahead. He gestures to the table where you see there is one painting that is already sitting out currently in the process of being placed in the frame while the others seem to be still within the tubes.
1: Alright Kelsey well, you've got more dainty feminine hands, you take the ones out of the tube and I'll look over them. Okay. Charles Smoot will begin looking and examining the paintings as Kelsey very delicately takes them out of their containers.
2: Charles, as you walk over to the table, you are greeted by the sight from your dream, or awakened moment. You're not exactly sure what it was, but there before you on the table is again the shrouded figure with glowing green irises staring up at you.
1: And what of the ones that Kelsey takes out of the tubes?
2: Kelsey is slowly pulling them out, trying to be very delicate with them. As she pulls out the other ones, she... Lays them out next to you. And again, there are a few scenes here that you have not seen. In one, you see what appears to be a modern-day location, at least for you. But there appear to be depicted from overhead, it seems, a promise pod, and... In one of these pods, you see a body of someone, while a doctor seems to be leaning over them with a needle in their hand, filled with some sort of black substance.
1: That's some great a backstory right there.
2: And in another, you see fire. And within the fire, there is a silhouette that is impossible to make out.
1: Was that the only three? from this collection?
2: That stand out to you the most.
1: So they're just scenes from the past that I would recognize? Yeah. Okay. Well, Mr. Godsworn, I have some potentially exciting news for you then.
2: He looks at you, waiting.
1: If these paintings are indicative of what I think they are, this one... Charles Smoot will point to the one of the Red Wall at the Shrine of Tribes, This may be where you get a chance to meet the Far Traveler, for I believe this is where hopefully I shall have a chance to meet the Far Traveler.
2: He looks at you, wide-eyed, but excitement building in his eyes. I see. Of course, I find that to be a very intriguing proposition. He smiles as he walks over and begins once again, staring down at the painting, this wild look of excitement in his eyes.
1: Can I make one request, however? Seeing as I am the individual depicted here, it would presume that if this is something of a future which has not yet to pass, that I am integral to its coming around. If I were to take you, I would ask that with me and my accompaniment you... Come alone and do not tell anyone of what you are doing until after it has passed.
2: He smiles and looks at you. I would not dream of telling anyone. They've thought I've been insane for years. And of course, it is mildly sacrilegious to have faith in the far traveler. Well... You notice as the room begins to grow... Dimmer the longer that you've been here. You've been parsing through these paintings for hours looking for anything. And you realize that as you look up, the sun seems to have begun to set.
1: It, what is the. In the depiction of the painting, yes? What time of day is it?
2: It appears to be daytime at the very least. Maybe later in the afternoon, based upon the way the light seems to be sitting.
1: Alas, my friend, I do believe this venture will have to wait until tomorrow, seeing as the state of day the state of this painting do not align. And who knows, maybe I'm wrong, maybe this doesn't happen for another 10, 20 years. Maybe it's just some crazy bat and I just happen to look a whole lot like the person in the picture.
2: I don't understand how he could mistake that for anyone else.
1: I know, he's got the, this gentleman's got the classic Smoot charm about him. I mean, look at the posture, the rippling muscles, the scowl, the unibrow. Mm,
2: the mitten, you mean the missing eyebrow?
1: It's growing back, you can see it here, it's just a little faded.
2: Actually, you can't. The funny thing is, it appears to be mostly from Charles Smoot's back.
1: Hmm. You can't even tell I'm missing an eyebrow, and I'm not missing one anymore.
2: It's, it's growing back, which is good, I guess. <laughs>
1: um... Well, while we have some time to kill, my dear astronomer, what can you tell me of this metal that and, you've purchased?
2: Okay, so you gesture to the metal, the metal, the meteorite that's sitting on the table.
1: It is some type of ore, is it not?
2: Yes, to be certain it is.
1: Do you know any properties or if it is possible to be used, refined?
2: He sort of chuckles. <laughs> It is not often used in such a manner. Not the easiest to manipulate. But I am no blacksmith. I have no experience with that.
1: Then what particularly is your interest with it in the first place, then? Ah,
2: the alien parasite it carries.
1: Oh, mm, yeah. Purple, crystal things thingies make things go crazy and rabid. He nods. Yes. Yeah, we had a run-in with those down by where... Presumably, this was procured. Lambs respite.
2: Ah, yes, I see. Yes, I have been studying these for years, attempting to discern what exactly these parasites are and where it is they might have come from.
1: And this meteorite is useful to determining that how, precisely? Wouldn't it be better to have the parasites or the crystals themselves? This seems
2: to be more of a house for them. See here, and he starts gesturing to parts of the stone. See these empty pits and pockets? It is almost as if they are stored within these walls, or that they eat through it. Note these chambers inside. Even the discarded material is important for the study.
1: Would you be interested in the crystals protruded from said parasites as well?
2: He pauses for a moment. It depends on if you have them active or not.
1: What does that mean? I think I just like throw them in a bag. Is that a problem? Is this a biohazard?
2: He looks at you confused. What is a biohazard?
1: Take the two words apart. Biological hazard. It's it's very self explanatory.
2: So it is hazardous.
1: Yes, it's hazardous biological material. You know, biology, life. Okay, look, if I was carrying this around, and he would pull one out of his bag and reveal it, though not touching it directly with his skin, but the cloth in which was wrapped around it, if I was carrying this around, would it be a problem?
2: He takes his hand. Em, what color did I tell you
1: they were? They were purple.
2: As you pull the crystals out from your bag, you notice that they are no longer a brilliant violet color as they were, but rather a dark, purple color ah i see the bloom is faded
1: what does that mean i do not like the sound of that
2: if you're saying that you fought something that was afflicted by the purple parasites the crystal parasite and you removed this crystal from the body he looks you up and down it seems you have a strong fortitude and have not been afflicted by it
1: are you trying to tell me that parasites tried to enter my body while I was sleeping via these crystals?
2: If you came into direct contact with it, then yes. Oh, what? Oh, this is. I should have
1: really gotten more of a warning. Oh,
2: didn't you touch that with your hands? Oh, well,
1: clearly I'm fine. I'm not glowing purple and, like, foaming at the mouth like that one rat did.
2: Ah, uh, uh, so you said it's... It, is it still... Um...
1: What's the likelihood of this thing being dormant inside my body and, like, waiting to, like, gush out of my stomach like from Alien?
2: He looks at you. Have you found yourself being uncontrollably angry?
1: Oh, all the time. That's my natural state of being.
2: And how long ago did this happen?
1: What do you know? Well, let's see. The worst was about, like, three years ago.
2: Um, no. Perhaps a better question. When did the exposure occur?
1: Oh, the exposure about mm, three, four weeks ago. Tops been about a month of travel.
2: Mm. He'd be dead by now.
1: What? 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 You yeah, can't just throw that on someone so haphazardly, sir.
2: He brings his hand back up to his lip.
1: Oh, right, 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 sorry, sorry. Well, we're not talking about, like, secretive things anymore. It's just that I have a potential aerial parasite living inside of me.
2: More than likely, if you were afflicted by this, you would have died within the first two weeks.
1: Have many individuals survived exposure to this?
2: If not treated, most people would die. However, luckily, there are herbalists who have found certain concoctions that can kill off the parasite within a person. Rather, though, it is quite painful.
1: Okay, so now, what level of biological anomaly must have occurred for me to have carried five of these things in my bag and me not be dead right now? And Smoot will pull out the rest of them, assuming that they are now all lacking in vibrancy as well.
2: Yes. They all are now dark purple. Well, you see, if you come into direct contact with them, that is the main course for the parasite to enter the body.
1: Pretty sure I broke him off with my bare hands.
2: He looks you up and down. I'm not sure. Not everyone is afflicted, however, the chances of that not happening are slim to none. But if you have not experienced any of the side effects, then
1: perhaps you are immune. Let's go, Kelsey. Look at that. I'm immune to creepy alien parasites. I could take on the world.
2: She kind of backs away from you, making a slight cross with her fingers. Hey,
1: what is this? Come on, he said I would be dead by now, especially if I was exposed to five times the standard lethal dosage.
2: And... Randall begins explaining a little bit more, as he does get slightly excited.
1: Are these things overly common?
2: Ah, a brief history lesson, then. According to our sources, in the 50th year of the cycle of this planet, they were discovered to have existed. These are the oldest known parasites on this earth.
1: What was it again? Purple something crystal? Or purple?
2: Purple crystal parasite. And they infect the host, through direct contact though they do take several days to integrate into the host's body the saying goes that they drain the life force of the host but they may enhance strength and endurance for a period of time and may prevent the effects of fatigue
1: so this is the oldest one does that mean there's other ones yes so are telling me that there are steroids from space falling from the sky
2: he looks slightly confused about part of that. There are indeed parasites that fall from the sky, yes.
1: Are they overly common?
2: It depends on the area, though the purple crystal parasite is the most common.
1: you mean to tell me that these, then Charles well, Smooth will pull out one of the ores, can just be found pretty much anywhere?
2: He sort of nods his head in response. Slowly growing concerned at your sudden interest. The GM is also growing concerned.
1: What do you mean? You're saying steroids can fall from the sky just about anywhere and I can just stab them into my body and I'm borderline immune?
2: He continues to explain, but, um, well, the downside, of course, is as the host's body begins to fail, a light purple crystal starts to emerge from the body. ...and then fully erupts in a very violent manner as the host dies, creating the bloom effect.
1: Yeah, certainly did notice that part.
2: Yes, well, the bloom remains active for several days before they mature and then grow dark. But it is well; it is in this state that the alchemists that we have, they seek to obtain these crystals can be valuable to them.
1: Very good to know. Do you have any of these other housing and casings and Charles Smith's just throwing around one of the tiny rocks, which you have already studied and are no longer using?
2: They have been disassembled, which is why I had to order more.
1: Why have they been disassembled?
2: For research.
1: Ah, and what do you do with the disassembled portions of it?
2: He sort of gestures to a small, nearby container on the floor.
1: Have you any use for this?
2: He sort of shakes his head. I was going to discard of it.
1: You're just going to throw this out? Yes. You, you don't mind if I, uh... I'm a rock enthusiast.
2: Off. <coughs> You're at penalties, man. <laughs> he quickly moves towards the container he gestured towards and picks it up. I believe I will dispose of this now, if you do not mind my child.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's perfectly fine.
2: His concern has grown. I don't know what you're planning on doing with it, but... I mean,
1: you said it was a relatively durable material which came from space. Have you not thought about the potential scientific and engineering properties of such a material?
2: Such as?
1: Forging it into weapons, armor, durable, lightweight alloy is potentially very useful.
2: He looks at you, quizzically, but then sort of shakes his head. No one has tried forging it that I know of, but I am not a blacksmith. I am just a simple clergyman.
1: Well then, uh, you intend on studying these, potentially ongoing for who knows how long, yes? If I could find use for whatever discarded remains you have, it could potentially be beneficial to you. If you would like, I know you, I assume you are very busy. I could take these discarded remains from you and see if any blacksmith would be willing to try. And who knows, potentially, the pair of us may have found a new revolution in alloys and metalworking.
2: Roll Diplomacy.
1: I'm going to use the big die for this one. The little okay, little not the it's, it's rolled for for all of my rolls tonight. Uh We have a total. I get to add nothing to this,
2: but 18. That's actually a really good roll. It's a good roll. He sort of relaxes his arms from around the container that he has picked up. Instead of holding it close to his chest, he sort of lowers it to his side. All right. I would like to see what it is that you may come up with. However, after all, he looks at you. You did come here for a donation.
1: Uh, what does even mean, Kelsey?
2: I, I don't know. It is best to play the role. He sort of gestures to the table.
1: What, what, what do you want me to donate? He
2: lifts up his hand and kind of like, Rubs his fingers together. Jeez,
1: really? I mean, I'm paying for the material. At least I like, can get some of nice for the house. That much money. I
2: think he's asking for a donation to the church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what does he want? I put ten silver pieces on the table.
2: He'll nod.
1: And as part of my good faith to the establishment, I will assist you in discarding of this material you have no use for.
2: Yes, thank you, my child, and it is wonderful to consult with you on the prospects of your daughter's betrothal.
1: Indeed. What? She's so beautiful, and there are so many individuals interested in her courtship.
2: She blushes. <laughs>
1: Here, my fair daughter, if you would assist your elderly father in carrying this. And Charles Moot will attempt to hand off the entire crate to Kelsey. Okay.
2: So, as you grab the crate again, you notice that there doesn't seem to be any real extra weight to it. The only thing that seems to weigh anything is the crate itself, which is about fifteen pounds on its own. She takes hold of it without any difficulty. <laughs> yes, Father. I will carry this for you.
1: I'm such an old man. My bags, we could give out any moment. Here, let's, we should make way. It's quite a journey back where we are staying.
2: Yes, to the house. The
1: house, indeed. Yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Godsworn. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again quite soon.
2: He nods and sort of, bows his head. As you begin to exit, he lifts up the cloth drape for you to head out.
1: Cool. And me and Kelsey will head on our way. Me and my daughter. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Alright.
2: You guys begin making your way out from within the observatory and you, again, you walk your way down following the stairs you do notice that the observatory itself seems to have mostly cleared out save for one fellow who is currently writing furiously inside of a book as he is attempting to burn the night oil
1: you can do it I believe in you
2: he looks at you taking his finger and covering his lips
1: you're the only one working here
2: I'm trying to study sir
1: and I believe you can do it
2: Mr. Smoot, please stop being so loud.
1: We mean? Words of encouragement are welcomed in any culture.
2: Uh, let us go, Father.
1: Ah yes, I get curmudgeon when it gets this late in the evenings.
2: Ah yes, we'll go home and r- rub your bunions or something. I oh,
1: is that an offer, Kelsey?
2: No, maybe you could ask Phelan.
1: I, uh, that prissy boy, I doubt he'd do that. No. He probably no. has servants for that.
2: He does have servants for that. I Wait, will... I
1: can get a servant to rub my bunions? Sir, please. Shush. Oh, I got better things to do. Screw you, studying man.
2: So you begin running. will through...
1: very eagerly begin making his way out of the building.
2: And you begin heading your way down from the lift. The ten-minute ride down.
1: And it is very distinctly dark at this point. Yes. It
2: is dark out right now. So, yes.
1: Uh, well, Kelsey... I doubt any blacksmith will be open this late.
2: <sighs> no, I, I don't think they would be.
1: So, the only thing left to do is to make our way back to Balin's manor and tell nobody anything.
2: We don't tell them anything?
1: Benavir's preoccupied. Balin has his own stuff to worry about. And to uh, put it bluntly, I mean, you didn't see any of them depicted in the paintings, did you? This is our burden, perhaps our burden alone it may be wisest to keep it that way
2: well i mean i didn't see them in any of <sighs> i mean i at least saw when we sort of met them but that's about it i mean even i wasn't in the painting with uh i guess the far traveler and you do you want me to come along though oh
1: well, who knows i mean mr godsworn might even be way he was anxious and looking at it, he might be stalking out that shrine for the next fortnight.
2: Yeah. Maybe we should have asked him where it was, and then we could have picked a meeting time and place.
1: feel like we can ask anyone where a town-renowned shrine is, and just in case we do not want his company, not scheduling a date and time with him is probably better.
2: Oh, that's probably true. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I was really unsettling to see all of that, though.
1: Almost as unsettling as the vision. Hmm. Well, Kelsey, perhaps this really is the beginning. The beginning of the end. Maybe, soon enough, we'll finally get to go back home.
2: Yeah, if that's even possible.
1: Well, if it is. The only person who would know, supposedly, we have a meeting with. Hopefully. As soon as tomorrow.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well. I guess I'll show you back to Valen's place. Actually, you can kind of see it from here.
1: What? You can see his house from here?
2: Yeah. It's really nice.
1: What do you mean? Which one is it? Isn't is it that big one over there to the left? Yeah, actually, how did Wait, you know- Wait, what? do you, know you mean? That's multiple acres of property.
2: I know. It's really impressive.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, no wonder he's next in line to be king. And I can't believe he said he'd probably make me the captain of the army if I had to put in some good work.
2: I think he was joking, Mr. Smoot.
1: Oh, what? Are you saying I wouldn't make a good commander of an army?
2: Yes, I am.
1: What? You've seen my battle presence. I'm a fierce foe.
2: Ah, yes, but you're also a, what is it, high school teacher?
1: Yes, and what difference is there between leading a bunch of rambunctious high school students and a bunch of bloodthirsty military combatants? Little to none!
2: <laughs> I was gonna say horniness, but no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is on the same level! Oof.
2: Bam. <clears throat> all right, so you both make your landfall from the lift. So, after you both finished up with your initial activities for the part of the day, which was the beginning. The sun set rather quickly in the area and you both begin making your way up towards Valen's Manor, at least where he sort of gestured for it. But coincidentally, you both meet up. But it is raining now, as the deluge from earlier in the morning has finally released itself on the city. Charles Smoot is a dripping, soaking, wet giant man and kelsey less giant more feminine has a cloak has a cloak but is also soaking wet and finavir you are also soaking wet
0: any luck And a bit it's not much but it's something
1: well how about we get out of the rain and go stay at a pretty boy's mansion and maybe dry off i heard there are servants there that'll rub my bunions Ah. Uh-huh. I
2: don't know if that's actually the case, Mr. Smoot.
1: Are you going to take that back now? i You gotta be so excited when you said that.
2: <laughs> I was kidding. I was just trying to... We've
1: say. been walking for like three months. I could really use someone to rub my bunions. Oh.
2: Anyway, it's just up that hill. She gestures up and you are seeing through the now lit lanterns that are dotted around this city there seems to be a path that travels up a slope of the mountain to another plateau but it is a good distance off but you can see several larger buildings up there with their own sets of lights as well
1: what Kelsey you afraid of a little walk
2: I just I wish we had umbrellas
1: oh I don't know that technology might be too advanced for the society then I'll go up to
0: Kelsey quietly of what's an umbrella
2: uh, what's umbrella with you? Are we. <laughs>
1: uh, I was thinking it.
2: Wait, are you serious?
1: Uh. I told you, they don't have the technology.
2: Okay, um. It's, it's like a long stick that mm-hmm. has a giant cover over it.
1: And you hold it above your head so you don't get wet.
2: And all the rain, like, falls off the sides of it.
0: That sounds terribly heavy and impossible to store. Ah, uh,
1: well, if you're really good at it. It's collapsible and can, like, fit in your pocket. Oh,
2: and waterproof?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's made of fabric, so it's super lightweight.
2: Yes, but don't get it out on a very windy, rainy day. Oh, or
1: else then it just snaps because it's as flimsy as a twig.
2: Or you get blown away like Mary Poppins.
1: That was an indestructible umbrella. I tried buying one of those. It was, like, $300. Uh, don't even waste your money.
2: Uh, anyway, let's get going, guys. All right. She leads you up this very nice, stony, paved road, Following along it, you guys are traveling for a good 20 minutes until you reach another gate where there are several guards sort of leaning underneath of the overhangs, just taking cover. They momentarily stop you, asking what your business is.
0: Wait, uh, uh, we're at the gates, right?
2: So apparently in this city, as you travel to the upper tiers, there are gates that guard these zones. It's a gated community.
0: Hmm. We're associates of Valen. He told us to meet up here.
2: The guard looks you up and down and sort of just shakes his head, not seeing anything really suspicious about you. Although he does eye Charles Smoot more as he walks by.
1: Charles Smoot eyes him and does the finger point thing like I'm watching you.
2: The guard shakes his head, slightly confused but also mildly intimidated.
0: That's what I thought. We are here on business. Uh, if you could...
1: Yeah, the business of me finding a place to crash.
0: Uh...
2: He waves you on.
0: Uh, I guess we'll be awaiting uh, Kelsey's direction.
2: Yeah, no, you are being led by Kelsey. And she does bring you another ten minutes down the road. Although it is very difficult to appreciate the area at this time of night and in the rain, it appears that the Gray's Estate, as she calls it, resides on this other plateau that is beneath the main castle. From what you can tell in the shadowy light from the flickering lanterns, it appears to be a large manor surrounded by an ornate iron fence. And you can see that there are lights shining from inside. You definitely see, though, through the dancing lights, you see well-maintenanced hedges lining the yard. And from here, you can hear the sound of a waterfall.
1: Wow, Kelsey, I really did not think it was going to be this far away from when we were looking up above on the mountain. That was quite a walk. I can understand why you weren't eager, especially in the weather.
2: Yeah, it's really nice here in the daytime.
1: But it's Uh, not raining. So how do we get in? Is there like a secret knock we have to do?
2: No, there's the gate over there. Um, But do you make a perception check?
1: Nah, nine. Okay. Are you sure? I I could have maybe seen it better from on top of the mountain, but...
0: 26 for Finn.
2: Charles Smoot, your eyes are just blinded by this sheet of rain. In fact, because of your size, you're actually blocking enough of this rainwater from, like, hitting against Finnevir directly that he can see better than you can.
1: Very nice. Very
2: it, Like, the height advantage is yeah. really hitting you bad here. But Finavir, in the shadowy overhang of the door, you see the silhouetted figure of a man, which, as you approach, he sort of leans away from the door and then approaches you. And you realize that Valen seemed to have been waiting for you guys. I was wondering when you'd all show up.
1: Charles Moot will, um, playfully bow. Oh, your highness, I'm sorry. I hope we weren't keeping you long. Ah,
2: oh, Charles, please. Please stop. I'm begging you. Stand up. I... This is not like you, and it's very... Concerning. Well, what?
1: I mean, soon king to be. I mean, I gotta get in your good courtly graces, don't I?
0: Uh,
2: Let's get inside from the rain.
0: Mr. Smoot, if you could just hold the Smoot
1: until we get dry at least I I gotta get all the Smoot out now. Once I'm in there, I gotta be more Charles.
2: That is very true. Please, in front of my barons,
1: do not.
0: Just take your Smoot outside and get it over with. What do you think I was doing, Ben?
1: I had to get all my jabs in before I have to be a proper gentleman.
2: Alright, let's go inside. You'll catch your death out here. So, he leads you to the front door. And once again, with this weather, it is very hard to take in the beauty of the estate, but the grandeur of it remains. With the two large, oversized doors that even Charles Smoot couldn't reach the top of if he jumped. And he leads you inside. Would you like to make a perception check or anything, or is this Am just Am I going like, to see anything
1: you... important if I do? Yeah, you sure. Oh, I might. That's amazing.
0: I want perception check. 18 total for Charles Smoot, and 17 for Finn.
2: Okay. As you enter in, soaking wet and dripping onto the nice stone floors in the entryway, you see that there seems to be a man that is well-dressed, a butler of sorts, waiting for you there. He is holding blankets in either of his arms which he promptly walks over and begins to dry you off manually while you are standing there but he does offer you a spare blanket additionally as you are scanning around you notice that the interior of this place is very well decorated and in fact there is one thing that stands out to you the most and it is the overly large painting of valen promptly situated in the center of the foyer.
1: See, only a king-to-be would have a a self-portrait like that prominently hung in the center of his house.
2: Valen looks at you and then looks back. Oh, God, no, she put it back. I didn't even realize it was still there. Mother, please! He walks through an entrance on the west side of the room, an archway that seems to lead into a dining room. All right, sirs, will you be needing anything else, Lady Kelsey?
0: Uh Oh, Uh, We're quite all right. Uh, Finn would look around to, you know, measure the faces of his compatriots and make sure that that's uh, the case.
1: I think we'll be well off. Thank you for your service.
2: Will you be joining the family in the dining hall? Shall I place plates for you?
1: Uh, oh, but of course. More than likely, though, it would probably be best to convene with Master Valen before we proceed.
0: Oh, right, right. Uh, uh, Finn will back down from the statement there.
2: Kelsey is staring at Charles Smoot. Wide-eyed, shocked, everything written on her face is, who are you and what have you done with Mr. Smoot?
1: Does the butler leave?
2: The butler bows slightly, and he begins walking into the dining hall.
1: Charles Smoot will immediately let out a sigh, hunch over slightly, and, like, elbow Kelsey in the side. See? I told you I could pull it off.
2: As you do that, you hear the sound of the butler... Valen and his accompanying guests shall be joining in the dining hall. And he claps his hands.
1: Charles Smoot will very quickly stand up very rigid and straight and begin strutting his way over to the dining hall.
2: All right. Kelsey picks her hand and just sort of covers her face as she walks behind you, unsure of how to react.
0: Yeah. Uh. Then <laughs> uh, he's just... He, at this point, he's used to, to, to Smoot's antics. He knows... That there's no, no way to expect what to, to come from this man. Uh, Finn will hold himself in a manner proper, trying not to uh, put his uh, shame on his face from uh, any uh, smoot as opposed to Charles' actions.
2: As you enter into the dining hall following after this well-dressed butler, as you take a better look at him, you realize he has long hair that is sort of tied back in a ponytail and a very well-dressed. Maintenanced and handlebar mustache.
1: How oh, well-maintenanced.
2: It is the largest mustache oh. you've ever seen.
0: That's a bold statement. Uh, did he give us his name already? No. Oh, he's the butler. Right. Oh, then request requested. Uh, might we have your name, sir?
2: He turns to you, bows his head slightly. Reyes Greysman.
0: Well met, and thank you for your service.
2: Indeed, good sir. If you would, you may take a seat over there. Any gestures, and you see that there are several serving maids who are walking with placemats they're placing around this very long table. The dining hall that you've walked into is, as one might expect from a noble household, it has tall ceilings, the walls are decorated with paintings of seemingly important individuals, multiple of which are Valen, and most notably, there is a very long table, at the end of which, three people are seated.
1: Uh, Do we need to make a perception check to see who's sat at the end of the table?
2: Yes.
0: And can Finn discern what the proper manners is to, uh, um, what what it takes to take a seat and where to seat is, uh, where would be
1: appropriate?
2: That would be a knowledge nobility if you're trying to discern the cultural Mm -hmm. respect.
1: While Finn is stuck there thinking Charles Smith has a 19 on his perception to observe his hosts, presumably. And that's
0: an 11 for Finn for um, the nobility.
2: So, Charles Smoot, your focus is on the individuals at the other end of the table. You see Valen walks over to the right side of the table to a woman who has peppered black hair that is tied up in an elegant bun. She wears long silver earrings, which complement her tawny complexion and evening gown. He walks over and he is giving her a hug. And you... Definitely hear the words, Mother, could you please take the painting down from the hall? On the opposite side of her, though, you see seated is an older woman of pale complexion and mostly grayed, wheat-colored hair which is neatly braided down her left side. She glances over at you, looking you up and down quizzically. You notice she has hazy blue eyes, speaking of an exhausted wisdom. And then all the way at the end of the table, sitting at the head, appears to be a man with very similar features to Valen, and also sharing in the stark white hair that is neatly combed back with a beard that is trimmed to match. He exudes an air of nobility, well-groomed, and wears a purple ascot and complimentary gray vest. Finnevere, uh, you see that there are several placemats that are lined along the table, that are enough for each of you. It seems that the serving maids have already placed them down in an appropriate location, but you are not exactly sure of what's the best seat. Of course, though, in your mind, sitting closest to the host is a seat of honor reserved only for the highest guest.
0: Ah, uh, Then assuming that the seat's directly next to the three at the end, and presumably there's a place for Valen. Um, so that's a fourth person, and there's three more seats set out. Uh, he would try to sit on the right side, the furthest up. Okay. Again, making sure that Valen is in wherever his appropriate place is.
2: You see as Valen takes the seat next to the dark-haired woman, and that is on the right side, so Finnevere, you take a seat next to him.
1: Charles Smoot will, uh, begin approaching the individuals, uh, not taking a seat yet, but just walking uh, in the general direction, but not too close.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and he will uh, address the individual sitting at the head of the table, saying By your refined stature and your noble aura, I assume that you are the master of House Grey. And Charles Smoot will make a bow.
2: As Valen is lifting a cup up to his mouth and takes a sip of water, you just hear him do a spit tag.
1: <laughs> and then afterwards, he nod over to uh, the two women. And by your beauty and grace, I assume you two to be none other than the matrons of House Grey. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance.
2: Valen is coughing violently at this moment. Oh, Valen, my dear boy, are you all right? The darker-haired woman says and begins patting his back. She looks at you and nods quickly, meanwhile patting her son's back and making sure he's not choking to death. The older woman turns and looks at you. Oh, do get on with it and sit down, ma'am.
1: Trust me, we'll just uh, take a seat. On the side where Valen is. Are you sitting immediately next to him? Yes.
2: So there are only two placemats left on the left side of the table next to the old woman.
1: I'll let Kelsey sit next to the old woman. (laughs) Okay. I'll sit at the end. I am not worthy enough to be sat so close to the masters of the house, clearly.
2: Okay. (laughs) Uh, So Kelsey shyly walks over. And she begins to take a seat, but Valen gets up quickly and runs around, pulls the chair out. Dear oh God, I almost died.
1: Is it more Charles? Less smoke? What do you want from me?
2: There was so much more Charles than I w- he was He's saying this as he's pushing the seat in for Kelsey. There was more Charles than I was expecting.
1: Was it bad? You want me to be more smoke?
2: No, 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 no. It's fine. I just took me... It took me back. A lot.
0: Can I try to cover this conversation with an introduction? Sure. As I see them presumably trying to start their banter. Uh uh Finn will stand. Ah well my man is uh I am Finnavier Vier. This is Charles Smoots and Kelsey. Thank you for having us in your home.
2: The older gentleman is currently cutting a piece of steak and he's putting it in his mouth as you are speaking. And then he places down his fork, and as he clears his throat he dapperly dabs his lips before speaking. You're most welcome in our household. It is good to see Valen bring home his comrades. And as you have assumed, my good man, he looks over at Charles Smoot. I am Byron Gray of House Gray. I'm sure you've heard of us. And this is my wife, Samoira. It is a pleasure to meet all of you. Welcome to our humble home. Byron finishes by gesturing to the older woman. And this, of course, is my mother, Gratian. She nods, but she currently returns to her plate. Occasionally, you'll see her looking up at you kind of quizzically. But the servants come out and they present you with large rounds of steak, potatoes, peas, and a variety of other dishes for you to select from.
1: One of the most important things. How many pieces of silverware are there? Six. Ooh, oh, gosh, no. All right. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait that, that's right. You work your way from the outside in is the proper plating, if I'm not mistaken.
2: You could roll knowledge nobility.
1: Oh, I don't. I literally can't. You could roll. Oh, you got special permission. Go at it. I got special permission.
2: It, it could be common knowledge, Quentin.
1: Oh, not not with my five.
2: Oh yeah, no, you have no idea. You're looking at this silverware on either side. There's like this sporkish-looking spoon in there for some reason.
1: What the heck is this? I just I don't touch anything until I see what Kelsey uses first.
2: You see, as Kelsey is currently grabbing for the knife, she she's honestly struggling herself and she's actually watching Gratian.
1: So we're both just like <laughs> looking a slightly to the last. Got it.
2: She you hear kinda mumble to you, I'm still trying to figure this out. <laughs>
1: What does Valen use? And kind of Charles Smoot just tries to, like, straighten his back and, like, look over whatever placing there is in the center of the table to, like, watch Valen.
2: Oh, you see the perfect etiquette. Perfect manners all the way through.
1: <sighs> okay, so tiny fork on the right purse. This knife's only used for butter.
2: The older woman, Gratian, puts down her silverware. Spit it out, man. If you can't use your silverware properly, then we can show you. It's not that difficult. Yes, Mr. Smoot. He, he needs to be shown, yes,
1: 100%. I do not wish to impose on such guests of your stature.
2: She snaps her fingers and Reyes comes over. See, to it these children are introduced on the proper etiquette in this household. As you wish, my lady. He bows and walks over to you and begins showing you the proper etiquette so you're not having to cheat. He does this for each of you. Although, Finnevere, you, you feel a strange familiarity with it.
0: I guess I'm a natural at eating.
2: That's a good thing, normally.
0: You know, Valen's no slouch out in the field. Uh, he did some wondrous work against some nefarious bandits.
2: You see his, Byron's eyes sort of flick up to you and they light up a little bit. Oh, of course, do tell me of my son's adventures.
1: I'm surprised he has not already regaled you with the tales.
2: Valen does not speak much of his... Well, adventures.
0: Uh, Finnevere would like to, um, fill, uh, Byron in on, uh, incident with El Chico and his banditos. Uh, due to, uh, large efforts between Valen and our very own Charles Smoot, the majority of the forces were, uh, uh were blown away by their efforts, getting in little bits here and there about, uh, how, uh, how, uh, how uh, a certain bard kept, um, the attention of literally half their forces for a while, giving them time to, uh, make the uh, daring rescue.
2: Kelsey makes sure to add in that he was you were swallowed by a frog at some point in your life.
0: <laughs> One of the worst days of my life. Not the worst, but on the top ten list. Oh, don't even forget the time
1: that when I was able to be graced by the opportunity to assist Valen in taking down red drakes before terrorizing a mining town.
2: Byron is most certainly paying attention to this conversation regarding the drakes. Ah, drakes! Of course, I remember fighting a few back in my day. So, then tell me, how did you take them out?
1: Oh, Valen had some real fancy footwork, got it nice and slow, and then with one ease, ease swing, it was decapitated all at once.
2: Wasn't that you?
1: I didn't say, hey, listen, I didn't say who did the final swing. I said Valen did some fancy footwork, got it low, and then with one final swing, it was decapitated.
2: That 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 implies, that would be a bluff.
0: Can I aid another by uh, adding the fact that we did sell that head for a pretty silver?
2: So you have to embellish by lying. Bluff.
0: This needs to be above a 10. Oh yeah, I mean, I got more than 10 on the dice. Um, It's 12 plus 10, 22. Oh, there you go. So that gives me an 18.
2: Myron looks at you with a knowing smile on his face. Well, I'm sure that Valen did perform well during this excursion, though I'm sure you had a great deal of impact on the outcome. You seem to be a very capable man, Charles.
1: Well, my uh, skills and expertise certainly do not lie in my etiquette. I am more useful in other manners.
0: There is a way that he swings his sword in ways more beautiful than an artist swings his brush.
2: While this conversation is going on, Charles, a perception for me.
1: Uh, it's a total 22.
2: You notice that as some Moira is cutting her food, and she's kind of like she glances up at you occasionally and then flicks her eyes over to Kelsey and then back at you.
1: Charles Smoot just nods. Wait, wait, no, actually, I don't know what she's <laughs> thinking now. Now that I, I was thinking, maybe she thinks that I'm the father, but then I don't want her to think that, like, that's my young wife, wife. my young hip wife, my young hip wife.
0: Yeah, you know. Sense motive, all that's all, true. As bad as it is, exists
1: on your paper. All right, I'll roll sense motive. I guess question mark.
2: Yeah, to, to discern a hidden motive or not hidden motive, but a secret message.
1: Uh, it, that is once again a uh, twenty-one.
2: Hmm. No.
1: No. Okay. No.
2: You you, Charles Smoot is assuming that it could be the one of the two things. Either
1: oh, Charles Smoot is, looks very concerned and she, like raises an eyebrow when he notices this.
2: You hear again as Gratian kind of places down firmly her silverware. Samoira, dear, please do stop with the eyes around the table. If there's something you want to say, then say it. She slowly then places down her silverware. <laughs> I'm I, I'm so sorry about that. I just had a quick question. Um Charles, are you are you her are you her father?
1: Uh, for all intents and purposes, I might as well be.
2: Kelsey is, just sort of nods in agreement.
1: I'm the closest thing she has to one. At least it's for the time being.
2: Yeah, he's kind of like my guardian, I guess. She leans into you. Why Why is she asking
1: that? Uh, listen, I'm just saying we did go talk to the monk about marriage proposals. Maybe he knows more than he let on.
0: Uh, I'd like to appeal to every man's fantasy, and that is giving them an option to talk about their own things they did right. I want to ask Byron about. He said he fought some Drakes, for, uh, suggesting uh, that we hear some of his stories from work, uh, whatever it is that he does.
2: Byron sort of laughs as you inquire as to this. That was a long time ago. My adventures are done. Now I live here. Ah.
1: Okie dokie. Uh, Renever will enjoy his food. Yeah. Uh, oh, is it enjoyable? Presumably, giant steak, rounds, potatoes, all kinds of dishes. Probably
2: one of the best meals that you've had
1: ever in your entire life.
0: Compliments to the chef.
2: And as you guys are finishing up your meals, you hear Samoyra speaks up Oh, Valin, just so that you are aware, uh, your cousins will be visiting tomorrow in the afternoon. We're going to be having a, a small luncheon. I would love for you all to be there. All of you are invited. She sort of gestures, making sure that you're aware of her invitation. And I do hope Desmond brings that girl with him. It's been quite some time since we've seen her. She frowns momentarily, then while looking at a goblet at her side, she picks it up and seems to swish around the liquid. But the stare quickly fades as her eyes light back up. Perhaps Anna will be bringing Belle... Valen, she's grown quite big. It's been a while since you've seen your dear little cousin. You should spend some time with her. Perhaps take her shopping? Or we can all go together as family? Valen then speaks up. All right, Mother, I'll see what I can do. I don't know what their plans are. Any gestures to you all?
0: Well, it all depends on what we can find out soon. Uh, One of our compatriots is uh, becoming difficult to find. We have to collect her before we're... Ready to uh, ship out? If we can find her in time. Perhaps uh, we might be able to uh, attend the gathering. I would very much like to.
2: Samara looks at you. Oh, you mean that dear girl that Valen said you were missing? I do hope that you find her as well. That must be a terribly dreadful situation to be in.
0: Can I sense mode of that? Sure. That's a twenty-five.
2: So, you are attempting to get a hunch?
0: Yeah, a hunch.
2: It seems that this woman is trustworthy in your eyes.
0: Thank you for your concern. We are going to do our best.
2: And as dinner comes to a close, you see as Byron and Simora begin exiting from the room, bidding you farewell and that they would see you in the morning at some point. Gratian more curtly nods to you, giving a very, very slight bow, but only with her head. As she exits from the room as well. She seems to be in a rush of sorts. All right,
1: Phelan, how'd I do?
2: Better than I thought, actually.
1: See, I told you, I can be upper class.
2: Honestly, if I'd met you in this way, I probably would... You know what, never mind. Never Never mind. We'll, we won't go
1: there. I'll land on to more pressing matters. Where's my elk? And where's my bat? it will be resting my weary head on old man. It's that what you went into town to find <laughs> No, I didn't go in town to find Cerulean. I figured Cerulean would be here, just like your wagon is.
2: Oh, your elk is in the nearby stables. It's not kept on their manor's estate, but uh, there is a place that we keep them for the nobles.
1: Alright, well, how how will I be able to to procure him if I need him? Like a ticketing system? I'll
2: I'll have to either take you there, or one of the serving staff could take you as well.
1: Can you just, like, write up a letter or something? Mm.
2: Sure, Charles. I will write up a letter so that you can go and get your elk and somehow walk around with it. Just leave it in the stables for now. Before you leave, gotta, you gotta can pick go it up.
1: check oh. up on him. Gotta make sure he's doing well.
2: Your elk is in heaven. I will tell you that much. You
1: know how long it's been since I've seen Cerulean? It's been weeks!
2: You're right. He's probably already forgotten about you. That's what I'm worried about! Weeks? As in, you mean a week?
1: More than that. You know how long you we were at the fort? It was like Two weeks! And then travel all the way back?
0: Yeah, you know how long that is in smooth time. Oh, come on, let's focus. I'm very focused.
2: You hear as Kelsey yawns. Um, well, besides all that, I'm very tired. I'm going to be going to sleep myself. So, bye. Um.
0: Did you find anything about Cece while you were out?
2: I thought you were looking for her.
0: I was, weren't you? No, you uh-huh. said that
2: you were going to be looking for her. And Mr. Smoot and I had to take care of some other business.
0: I see. Besides,
2: Valen does have uh, his cousin's guard looking out for her. There's really not much more that we can do. At least, not that I think we can.
0: All right. Well, it's been a long day. I'll see you in the morning.
2: Yes. Good night, Vinavere.
0: Good night, Kelsey.
2: She begins walking away before turning in once again, nodding to Charles. Good night. She puts air quotes. Dad.
1: Charles Smoot acts as if he's wiping a tear from his eye. Good night, daughter.
2: Oh, don't say that. That makes this so much weirder. Yes, please, please, both of you, do not be related at all. Ever.
1: Why was the problem there, Valen?
2: I just couldn't see it actually happening.
1: What are you saying? I don't make a great male role model.
2: You're male, but a role model? No. All right. Good night, Kelsey. I'll see you later, then. And you two, follow me. I'll take you to where you're supposed to be sleeping.
1: All right. Wonderful. Can't wait to hit the hay. Got a big day ahead of me.
2: Okay. So Valen begins leading you out from this room on the west side, back into the foyer. And then he takes you down a hall towards a set of stairs. You see Kelsey branches off to the west side once again, up the stairs, and Valen begins taking you down the east wing, where he shows you two guest rooms, one for each of you. Valen looks at you, Finavir. I'll have your things fetched in the morning. But now it's just been staying with the car, just for safekeeping.
0: I appreciate that. A safe place can be difficult to find.
2: Also, Finevier, why in ISOS's name do you carry such a large backpack? <sighs>
0: I intended to set off on a merchant's journey when I left my hometown. I didn't exactly know what I was getting into. I thought I could travel from place to place, gathering, you know, whatever the local grates are and carrying it to another village and selling it at a profit. I had no idea. Yeah. That sounds
2: absolutely terrible. Why don't you, like, sketch something and sell it? You'd mm. probably make more money that way than trying to pick something up from one location and transporting it. Anyway, I'll see you in the morning, Finevia.
0: Thank you. Then we'll go to his room alone, kind of find a place to sit, realizing that uh, he doesn't know what to do if he can't find Cece. He's not ready to lose anyone else anymore. He will take Isabel out as she's kind of a representation of leaving things behind that you care about. Press it against his head and he'll just sit and meditate for a while.
2: Okay the room that you entered into. Both of them are very well furnished. There are plush beds and cushioned seats. A lot of them actually are sitting by a window. And, well, overall, it's a quaint space and a safe place to rest.
1: Charles Smoot will set down his box and his bag on top of it and just flounce immediately into the bed.
2: All right. And... I'm assuming you sleep?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's he's out cold as soon as he gets the opportunity to. It's been a very taxing day.
2: You both sleep, feeling your travel-worn bodies finally getting a chance to rest. You fade into unconsciousness, and you do not dream, only finding yourself waking up the next day and preparing to head out on wherever you decide to go. But... You actually get to take in the beautiful surroundings as you make your way outside after receiving a delicious breakfast, which was delivered to your rooms in the morning. You see Valen is out there currently conversing with Kelsey. And the space that you see is beautiful. There is a lovely garden outside, directly outside of the manor that is surrounded by the hedges and the iron fence. You can see the waterfall cascading over the topmost plateau from the castle nearby. There are a few other large mansions, but they're off a good distance. It seems that each of them has a plot of land up on this plateau of the mountain.
1: Uh, Charles Smoot will head out early in the morning before the afternoon happens, before the family arrives. Okay. And just get out as soon as possible. He's gotta check on Cerulean. He wants to see if he can find a blacksmith and he's gotta to go to a meeting.
2: Okay. All right. So Charles Smoot, you you head out. I
1: we'll would have to grab a servant with me.
2: You you grab a servant. You actually um find Reyes, who is currently tending to the garden, snipping away some of the overgrown bush, hedge <laughs> branches, twigs, those things. Uh, Yes, sir.
1: Pardon me. I need your accompaniment uh, in order to go see my elk, apparently. so.
2: Oh, of course, sir. Uh, Give me one moment and I will uh, make haste with you. And he goes and informs another staff member before taking a short journey with you to the stable. Uh, Finneverevere, Charles Smoot actually then left before you got outside and actually before Kelsey and Balin. So it's actually just them. So you left early, like as soon as you got up.
0: Uh would he be able to ask one of the servants if, uh, if they knew that Smoot left, like if they they knew where he went?
2: You would not have known that he had left already, but by the time you got outside, you would not have seen him, and you'd be a little.
0: Oh, um, I assume that he would have gone over next door to check on him in the morning, immediately after getting up.
2: His room would have been empty.
0: The last time this happened, Mess didn't come back.
2: Okay. So. That's point. So. Then, Finnevere, would you just go and run out trying to see if you could find him?
0: Uh, he would try to do such with haste but calmness uh, not as not to raise alarm.
2: As you are getting ready to run out the door, you hear the older woman sort of shout to you, One moment, boy. Come.
0: Uh, he'll come immediately.
2: Are you about to head out?
0: On. Um... Not in particular, not yet. Uh, Is there something I can do for you?
2: She shoves an envelope into your hands. Please take this down to the Merchant's Guild for me immediately. I need this delivered.
0: Well then, I'll make haste. Okay. Take a bow and take my leave.
2: Okay. Uh, And so you begin making your way down there, or what do you do?
0: uh, I would want to find Kelsey and or Valen first to let someone know where I'm going.
2: Okay. They're directly outside of the manor currently, just... Sort of sitting on a bench watching the waterfall.
0: All right, uh, I'll sense
1: motive. Valen's uh, intent. <laughs> it's clearly a marriage this proposal. Is... I don't understand the question. Well, that's right, it can't be a marriage proposal. You're, you're he hasn't role. asked my blessing. Go ahead. Yet. All right, let's go. Nine.
2: Fenevere, <laughs> you feel like you're interrupting something that you shouldn't be interrupting. You see, as Valen's arm is sort of extended behind, Kelsey's relaxed. It's a little suspicious to you with a nine.
0: You uh, have the that, worst possible thought. Uh, in that case, if that's what, what Finn would see, he would certainly approach. Uh, I'll try to get their attention.
2: What does he do? Uh,
0: <clears throat> and as, as soon as he gets their attention. Uh, Gretion asked to deliver a parcel for her. So I'll be out for a bit.
2: So you just walk up and say that to them as they're yeah. sitting there?
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: Valen sort of shifts in his seat and stands up to greet you. Oh, all right, Finn. Then do you you know where you're going?
0: I'm sure I'll find my way. I should be back before too long. All right, then. I'll be off to the uh, the Adventurer's Guild.
2: He looks at you quizzically.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Merchant's Guild. My apologies.
2: Kelsey gets up and walks over to you, puts her hand on your forehead, and seems to be comparing her temperature. I don't think he has a fever. He's not dead yet, so we should be okay. I'm not a
0: medical provider. I'm healthy, just a little distracted.
2: I know, Finn. We'll find her. Hopefully, when Desmond comes here, there'll be some good news.
0: Let's hope. All All right, right. I'll be back as swift as I can.
2: All right, Finn, Finnebier, you begin to head off, making your way down through the gate, passing by the same guard from the previous evening who sort of nod to you nonchalantly. And you make your way go ahead and just roll a survival for me.
0: That is a nine.
2: It takes you a good bit to find it, though you are able to ask for some directions. Honestly, it would probably should have only taken your character maybe about a half an hour, took an hour and 20 minutes. Alright. But, you find your way towards the Merchant's Guild. And as you begin walking up the steps to this very lovely and large building. You see multiple people running to and fro. There are people dressed in very expensive garb. Some people are wearing multiple rings on their hands. Other people have literal gold bracelets on their bodies. These are very wealthy merchanty people.
0: Hmm, this will be home one day.
2: And as you begin making your way up the steps, you hear a voice call to you from behind. Venomia, there. there, there. Huh. Huntsman? You turn around and you say, Huntsman, make a perception check for me. 21. Okay. You turn around and you notice it is not the huntsman that called your name, but you see a bald man with a horizontal scar across his nose, only a few feet away, looking directly at you. He's wearing a plain black coat over top of some chain mail, and he has a leather belt fastened at his waist with a scabbard. Though you do not see the weapon holstered, in this very cheery moment, exciting moment for you, you begin to notice that in the crowd is surrounding you, there are two other men who begin to approach you quickly, and this man, who's only a few feet away from you, rushes up to you, and you feel something sharp poke into your side.
0: Uh, I try to figure out what that is.
2: You feel as though something sharp, and probably the weapon that should be in the scabbard, is currently pressed against your side.
0: All right. Uh, I have my chainmail shirt. It's the only thing I would... It's the only thing of my actual gear I would have on me. Okay. So it'd kind of be just awkwardly pressing. I turn to see who's doing that.
2: It's the same man that was oh, looking right at you. A,
0: that man is... A, it...
2: He approaches you and you feel this in your side right now. Not okay. in, but like pressing against it. There oh. are two other men nearby as well, dressed similar. Come with us. Make no fuss. and there won't be a problem.
0: <clears throat> uh I'll go. I'll take the lead on this one. Sure.
2: Okay. And so, Finnaveria, you decide to follow along with these men who seem to be sort of mugging you, I guess, is the question?
1: Kidnapping you?
2: Kidnapping you? Who knows? You begin to follow along with them. They lead you to a large carriage, which is opened up. The man who is holding the dagger to your side gestures for you to get in.
0: Uh, I need to know how much escape option is available. Can I jump through something or jump? Through? It's a covered carriage. It's like fabric that could jump through if I needed to. Or...
2: There are two men on either side of you and this other gentleman in front. It seems that they are corralling you to get into the carriage. One of them has a firm grip on your shoulder currently.
1: It's fine and all. Uh... I'm just getting mugged and taken to a secondary location. This is fine and all.
0: Yeah. Anyway, some pretty happy music for getting mugged. Uh
1: I think I'll go with them. Yeah. It's too cheery to be getting mugged, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's almost hypnotic. It's, it's like, like oh, oh
1: everything's fine here, right?
0: Uh it'll definitely be uh protecting whatever area he's keeping the uh uh the envelope in.
2: Okay. So, you get in. Uh yep. Alright. Sophina Vivir. You are pushed into this carriage, and the door slams behind you, and you feel as it lurches forward to an unknown destination. And that is where we're going to end off this week's episode of The Gate Chronicles. Thank you, Foundlings, for listening to another episode of The Gate Chronicles. We're so glad that you joined us and we'll help you tune in again next, next week for another episode. Make sure you guys are following us on our Instagram and Twitter at RollFound to keep up to date on any announcements that we have to make. You can always support the podcast by going to our website, Missing RoleplayerFound, picking up some merchandise, going to our Patreon, or also leaving us a rating and a review whenever podcast listening apps you're on. And we really appreciate those reviews because we like to read them and, and stuff. Uh, But that's about it, foundlings, besides the fact that uh, we want to give a big thank you and shout out to Will Savino with Music D20, Michael Gelfi, as well as Ivan Dutch for allowing us to use their music and ambiance in today's episode. Give them big thanks, guys, for us. If you want to head over to their uh, YouTube channels, those links are in the description below. And that's literally it. I like to keep it short and sweet this week. Yeah. All right. Bye.